Good day, everybody. This is Brandon with 238 Media. I just wanted to make sure I took some time to let you know about this great tool that helps me to keep my podcast moving at a really good rate of production. This tool is Anchor by Spotify, and it is probably one of the easiest ways to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Anchor has tools that allow you to record your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and a host of other options. It's everything you need in one place to make a podcast. And best of all, it is 100% free. So, hey, let me know what you think. And as always, it's the whole gospel to the whole world by the whole church. Hey everybody, it's Brandon again. We're coming in with our second installment of our Apostolic Pentecostal commentary on Tertullian against Praxius. And today we're going to be looking at chapter two. And chapter two's title, as with chapter one, uh, is a little bit lengthy, but we're going to uh, examine it. Uh, And chapter two's title is basically the Catholic doctrine of the Trinity and unity sometimes called the divine economy or dispensation of the personal relations of the Godhead. Now, of course, in chapter one, as a quick recap, we have an introduction of Tertullian's primary grievances against uh, this person who is Praxis, which, as I stated in video one, I have suspicions that Praxis was a pseudonym for another figure, probably... um, forgot the gentleman's name uh, who I was thinking of uh, could be probably a person of notoriety uh, probably Sibelius because he made the hint that uh, Sibelius was uh, at one time recanted and I believe this was the case Uh, but more than likely he's this is this reeks of uh, political initiative and so we're going to go word for word as we have been going and chapter two begins in the course of time then the father of Forsyth was born and the father suffered God himself the Lord Almighty whom in their preaching they declared to be Jesus Christ and again he is characterizing what he understands to be the uh, understanding of the Sabalianistic uh, modalistic monarchians we however as we indeed always have done now it's interesting when he says we Is he speaking of the church Catholic or is he speaking of uh, his particular segment of uh, individuals who affirm his position? I believe the latter is the case. And more especially since we have been better instructed by the paraclete, paraclete is Holy Ghost, Greek, uh, who leads men indeed into all truth. Believe that there is only one God, but under the following dispensation of of oconomia, and that's the Greek word, ukonomia, right there. And I can read a little Greek, not much. I, I try. Uh, Omicron, yeah. Let me see right there. It's cutting up. I'm not sure why it's doing this as a late. As it is always called, that this one, only God, has also a son. Now notice, he identifies the one God as the Father, which... Of course, Tertullian is a proto-Trinitarian, but he definitely makes it clear that he is monarchical in his position, uh, because this is something that I think uh, 
monarchical Trinitarians very much embrace. His word who proceeds from himself, by whom all things were made and without whom nothing was made. Now, just notice this, because the way Tertullian articulates this, it's a little bit different because, as I said earlier, and I believe I said it in the previous video, the average Trinitarian today is a social Trinitarian, whereas I have always said the monarchical form of Trinitarianism, even though I do not agree with it, is a much more consistent form of Trinitarianism. Uh, because social Trinitarianism, you don't need to be that smart to unwrap that. I mean, you have Muslims making social Trinitarians look, look, look foolish on a consistent basis. But he goes on to say, him we believe to have been sent by the Father in the Virgin and to have been born of her, being both man and God, the Son of Man and the Son of God, to have been called by the name of Jesus. Now, what's even of more further interest is that as one as Pentecostals do, we identify the incarnate man, Christ Jesus, uh, as the name that, uh, and excuse me, got a phone call just then, uh, as the one who is um, seen uh, as the name of the one incarnate. But before then, he calls the son of God, son of man of the word. We believe him. Now notice he is trying to build his case of distinction. Uh, to have suffered, died, and been buried according to the scriptures, and after he had been raised again by the Father and taken back to heaven, to be sitting at the right hand of the Father, and that he will come to judge the quick and the dead, who sent also from heaven from the Father according to his own promise, the Holy Ghost, the Paraclete, the Sanctifier, the faith of those who believe in the Father and in the Son and in the Holy Ghost. Now notice, uh, this is a uh, I guess for those who are kind of interested in the East and West theological uh, disputes over the filioque clause, and you know, uh, you can really see Tertullian's understanding of progression. He sees it uh, from what I'm understanding, and if I'm wrong, someone, hey, please comment in the uh, chat below that his understanding of the procession, the Spirit comes from the Father, uh, in that. Jesus is, how can you say, the intermediary or the facilitator of the dispensation of the paraclete. That this rule of faith has come down to us from the beginning. And when you see that that phrase uh, right there, this rule of faith, this is a common phrase that uh, the early church, I believe, used as the rule of faith. Or another way of saying the doctrine. Uh, but he is saying this is a rule of faith has come down to us from the beginning of the gospel, even before any of the older heretics, much more before Praxis, a pretender of yesterday. Now, that's an interesting uh, comment he says there. He says the older heretics. I wonder who those older heretics he's talking about, unless he's talking about like Marcion or something like that. But he says Praxis uh, is a pretender of yesterday. Now, I wonder when he's talking about these heretics that he says are definitely the older ones is he saying that there were people in the first century who believed this and praxis has somewhat have he, he just reconstructed it this interesting uh will be apparent both from the lateness of a date which makes all heresies and also from the absolute novel character of the newfangled praxis uh 
tell you that they're totally not to say some stuff. In this principle also, we must henceforth find a presumption of the equal force against all heresies whatsoever, that whatever is first is true, whereas that is spurious, which is later in date. But keeping this prescriptive rule inviolable, still some opportunity must be given for reviewing the statements of heretics. Now, this is interesting, and we're going to make a note there because I feel very confident this is going to be even more uh, important. So he is saying that we're going to identify the statements of heretics. And I'm going to just put a note there. Uh, let me see. He uh, is, let's see. He, he's going to give some quotes. And so this is interesting. Why? Because either Praxius uh, had some writings that were common or he was in vicinity where he he heard Praxius himself. Either way, he feels very confident in saying that he's going to be able to refute their claims by looking at their statements with a view to the instruction of the pretension of divers persons were it only that it may not be seen that every person of the truth is condemned without examination and simply prejudged, especially in the case of this heresy, which supposes itself to possess the pure truth. So that we can already see right there, that is a claim that the uh, that the uh, those who are called modalistic monarcharians or Sibelianists in the East or followers of Noetus, that their presupposition and approach to what they're saying is that this is a pure truth meaning that now he earlier has made the statement that what what Tertullian is saying is the pure rule of faith that has come down all the way from the apostles but what he is saying these um praxians are saying that this is uh the pure truth so we got two true claims being made in thinking that one cannot believe, oh, even better, we're going we to see what their claim is. And I want you, as we're going through this, to see if it's possible to reconstruct what the Praxians or the Sibelians actually believe by looking at his uh, Tertullian's claim. Now, this has to be understood within the context that it is the assumption that what he is saying is absolutely true without uh, manipulation or <clears throat> as some would do in modern apologetics they kind of they kind of straw man their opponent so we're just going to assume that he's not doing in any of this now is he probably doing it probably so in a lot of areas but we're just going to assume to see for reconstruction sake can we come up with his theology now, what is the pure uh, truth claim in thinking that one cannot believe in, in one only God in any other way than by saying that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are the very self-same person? So, Praxis' major contention from Tertullian is that it is impossible to believe that you can have one God, uh, that unipersonalism, or as I call it, polypersonalism, uh, by necessity, uh, even though it may not be the intention of the uh, interlocutor, if followed to his logical conclusion, weakens the ability to defend against absolute monotheism. As if in this way also, we were not all in that all are one by unity, that is, of substance. Now, this is going to be Tertullian's main uh, 
our rebuttal to this accusation is that we have oneness, but now Tertullian is making it that this oneness is not a oneness of person, but a oneness of unity. While the mystery of the dispensation is still guarded, meaning this lot we don't know, which distributes the unity into a trinity, placing in their order the three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Three, however, not in condition, but in degree, not in substance, but in form, not in power, but in aspect, yet of one substance, and of one condition, and of one power, inasmuch as he is one God, from whom, now it's interesting, he, <laughs> the he, the one God is the he, but the multiplicity of persons is is, is clearly a they. It just, and I'm trying not to be Trinitarianism. It's just something else. And of one condition, of one power, inasmuch as he is one God, from whom these degrees, forms, and aspects reckon under the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost. How they are susceptible of number without division will be shown as our treatise proceeds. And so he's really making the case clear that we're going to get into it and we're going to really knock it out. So what we understand is that the major accusation from chapter two that the uh, Praxians are positing against uh, these proto-Trinitarians is that this is a direct undermining of what is logically considered monotheism. So from the Praxian standpoint, one cannot be a monotheist uh, and have multiple persons. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see, but we're going to already see Tertullian is laying the foundation of how to circumvent this accusation by showing that this is a miscomprehension. And so next time we're going to pick up with our video is going to be chapter three, which is going to be sundry popular fears and prejudice, the doctrine of the, <clears throat> excuse me, of the Trinity and unity rescued from these misapprehensions. So, hey, please share, rate, subscribe. Let somebody know we are having a historic apostolic oneness Pentecostal uh, commentary on the writings of Tertullian against Praxis. And remember, it's the whole gospel to the whole world by the whole church. The Lord bless you in Jesus.